Lots of things go better together. Hockey, food, golf, peanut butter and jelly, Gojo and Golik, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey. What? But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Gojo with Mike Golick Jr. That is me, a little bit sunburnt, a little bit hungover, but overall doing all right. With me, as always, is Brandon Newman. Brandon, how you feeling, man? I'm doing well. I hope you're nursing that uh, mayo hangover that you're uh, going through right now is that is that what you're hungover from too much mayo uh no not this time around at the very least although it appears that's going to follow me around for the rest of my life now this is a good old-fashioned <laughs> well-earned fourth of july holiday weekend hangover that i uh went out here and captured although i will say and we will get to we got a great show coming up for everybody today this is uh brandon going to be the start of what i think we'll dub beef week on here i am going to be heading down to the o-line mastermind summit this coming uh friday and saturday in Dallas with a lot of the best offensive linemen and O-line minds around the NFL, college, etc. And to celebrate that, we thought we'd bring in some beefy guests. So today, we will have uh, Eagles All-Pro right tackle Lane Johnson joining us, who really was the architect behind O-line masterminds, one of the players that helped put this together to try and give game to the younger players coming into the league, stuff that he wished he would have known, stuff that some veterans did take the time to help him out with. So excited to talk to him about a ton of stuff from this offseason, how that came together, working out in a barn in Jersey where his quarterback Jalen Hurts has come to clang and bang with some of the big boys there so all really great stuff from him as we get started on a very very meaty week here around the gojo podcast i love a meaty week obviously we just came off of a, a meaty holiday where you eat a lot of grilled meats uh i am refusing to be outweighed by anyone who comes on this podcast and and i'm uh you know i'm at my oh shit weight currently so uh weighing more than oh. lane johnson even uh after a holiday weekend but yeah, I'm excited about the beef that is to come. And uh, excuse us to any guest that's under 200 pounds that comes on this week. You are an honorary beef member. 
Yeah, listen, beef is always about what's in your chest, not necessarily yes. what hangs off your love handles or any other part of your body. But we're looking forward to talking to Lane. Uh, left tackle for the Miami Dolphins, Teron Armstead, should be on here. A couple other guys that we're very excited to talk to as the week goes along. But, um, Brandon, so was that your revelation from over the weekend? Because I looked at my weekend, and it really crystallized for me just the importance of drinking water. Like, I had someone tweet it and decided to jettison that message out. If you're over 30 heading into a weekend like this, and you are not coming close to, like, at least going two to one on the drink to water ratio through your weekend, there's no way to survive. And the only reason that I'm standing here today able to record this podcast with you is through the power of water. That shit made the Grand Canyon. If you don't think you can do great things for your bodies, you're crazy. You're crazy. (laughs) It's true. You know, uh, 70% of the world is water. Um, I think it's harder to do it on holiday weekends because I feel like, I don't know if you guys are like me, but I try to drink as much water as possible. I drink water. Water and coffee is pretty much the only two things that really hit my lips. Um, But on holiday weekends, you get a a chance to experience all the other great things outside of water. So it's even harder to get more water intake because you're busy you know, trying a, a, a Vizzy or Izzy or whatever the hell new hard seltzer is out in the streets right now, or a beer, or some Henny, or taking shots with your family. and Or, this was me, I just got reintroduced to strawberry lemonade this, this holiday season, and See, it's and delicious. Sometimes when you get those hot days, it's just stuff like that. Where it's not necessarily about the alcohol content and more just about what I have not had in a while. Like that was me pretty mm. often with like a Diet Coke. I kind of leave that in the wings right now as my thunder punch when I'm really feeling down and needing to pick me up. But strawberry yes. lemonade, absolute heat. Absolute heat. Oh, it, it, it's really, it's really, really good. And also if you... If you're at a restaurant, you don't have anything. They say we only have high C. If it's a popping pink lemonade, that's the, I mean, that's the LeBron James of pink lemonades out there. The high C pink lemonade, pop popping pink specifically found at checkers and rallies. If you're if you're looking, uh, but I went out, you know, yesterday went out and got some hot dogs. I I, I was. I, you know, I was doing festive things. You know, I, 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 in, I ingested the meat that I was supposed to. Uh, my cousin's boyfriend made some beautiful dry rub ribs. And I, I usually don't even delve in the pork like that. I just, now, is it, remember we said last podcast last week, you know, diet starts today type of thing. Like, abstinence starts now. Like, uh, like control. Uh, <laughs> why are you making that face when I say abstinence? Abstinence? Yeah, abstinence. Like, Isn't that uh, like not having sex? Well, when you think about food the way I do, it, it, you have to like no. take that type of approach to it. It's like, like I need to control myself for the betterment of my children. <laughs> That's one way to put it, okay, in a way I certainly wasn't ready for, so... I uh, applaud you for that restraint that is now coming, and that's probably the mode that we're all going to be in coming yes. off this weekend is it's time to dial it back in a little bit right now. we got the rest of the summer to try and get out here and live right. We have gotten through the major holiday weekend of sorts. But Brandon, uh, gluttony was still part of the theme of the weekend, man. It was the first time watching this, uh, this Monday the Nathan's Famous – uh, international hot dog eating contest was one of the first like instances of FOMO I had had from the old life because I got mm. to call the last two Nathan's famous hot dog eating contests 
with Jason Fitz, with Richard Shea and George Shea, the two heads of Major League Eating. George is the one you always hear doing the wild, incredible introductions for all the different eaters. And man, it was a freaking doozy. We had... So I'm curious about this because Joey Chestnut, surprising no one, came and won now his 15th Nathan's Famous Hot Dog Eating Mustard Belt, the championship-style wrestling belt that goes to the winner of that contest. He did it eating far fewer hot dogs than usual for Joey Chestnut. He hit 63 hot dogs and buns in the 10-minute time. He's gone over 70 plenty of times. He broke his own record last year well into the 70s as well. But this year, Joey hit... 63 and we're like all right you know what that's still a lot of hot dogs and buns mickey sudo who won the women's portion of the competitive eating contest there who now has a boatload of titles to her name as well she downed 40 hot dogs and buns and she came into this thing damn sure she was going to go up there and touch 50 but people were saying the heat out there may have affected that it affects how the weather affects how the dogs run that's lingo Mm. in that's industry lingo right there for you guys take that one with you to the office but i needed that one Once I heard that, I was like, all right, maybe that's the excuse for Joey Chestnut, who also came into this with a ruptured tendon and was wearing a walking boot, so much so that during the introductions to the contest, instead of coming up the stairs onto the main stage with the rest of the eaters on the corner of Surf Surf and Stillwell in Coney Island, he was lowered down on a scissor lift to the same level as everybody else to get him out of walking. Correction, lifted and lowered. I believe uh, he was uh, under a blanket or an umbrella while it was lowered, and then the scissor lift went up during his introductions and back down so he can walk up. So, yes, it was it was quite the spectacle. And also, shout out to the two Americans. Obviously, we should be leading uh, all the American competitive. Americans should be winning all the competitive eating, and we're doing so with the Nathan's Hot Dog Eating Contest with uh, Mickey. Mickey. Mickey soon. Mickey. Her, Mickey and her husband, Nick Weary, by the way, the third-ranked competitive eater in the world. Yes. The first family of Major League Eating. Their son, I believe his name was Max, was there with them as well. Mickey couldn't compete last year in the contest because she was pregnant at the time, so she came with us in the broadcast booth and was phenomenal. Like Whenever she decides to hang up the belt herself, get that woman in the booth. She is an electric factory, but that's beside the point right now. She can absolutely throw down burgers and dogs. Well, Dogs and buns in this case, not burgers and dogs. Yeah, dogs and buns. And it, it, it doesn't as great as a spectacle. And I want you to get to uh, one of the factors that possibly was one of the reasons why uh, our guy from uh, Westfield, Indiana, Joey Chestnut, didn't eclipse his, his number or get close to the dogs that he's used to woofing down. But regardless of all those things, nothing makes that event easier to watch. There's like, no. like if they if they maybe like blurred the mouth like I don't know like I, it feels very very it feels like steps past softcore eating porn and it's just it's just very it's tough. It's That's tough. what I will say about Joey Chestnut. In addition to being the reigning champion, and let me get the number out there: seventy six hot dogs and buns is his world record. Joey does it in the cleanest fashion of anyone up there. Like Gideon OG, who was the six foot nine former collegiate yes. basketball player ate those things the most disgusting way I'd ever seen. When they showed him on camera, I had to look away briefly. And Lord knows, I was there during the (laughs) pandemic when they did it indoors and we had no sound to drown out the chewing. But what we didn't have at that point was protesters at that one. Now, this contest has a history of protesters involving themselves. I remember PETA famously throwing fake blood on Big Cat when he was one of these celebrities 
that appeared up on the Major League Eating Table with the rest of the competitive eaters. This time around, three protesters managed to jockey their way by the stage, donning Darth Vader masks. They were animal rights protesters. And one of the protesters actually managed to get right next to Joey Chestnut and hold up a sign for everyone to see. But everyone didn't actually see it. So these posts all hit the internet later on. During the main broadcast on ESPN that went off at noon Eastern, you didn't see it on there. And Brandon, we know this from watching sports and covering sports. A lot of times when you have protesters, streakers, what have you, the broadcast, if they have time and they've got that delay built in, try and make sure they don't show it because if you show it, these people get the attention that they want. It ends up being an incentive for more people to do that. So it's all done. And that's why you probably won't see it on any of the replays of this either. But ESPN.com had a simulcast Joey uh, Chestnut cam. It was just a camera trained even with Joey Chestnut for the entire contest because, you know, at this point, it's Joey Chestnut versus his own play in history, their place in history. And on that broadcast camera, it was like Darren Ravel and others were able to pull the footage of Joey Chestnut in the middle of eating. This protester gets right next to him, like putting, like knocks past him, holds up the yes. sign in a Darth Vader mask. Joey looks for a split second and then immediately puts this guy in a chokehold, throws him down, and then goes back to eating. And Brandon still boat races the rest of the field. So my question is should Joey Chestnut, defeating a protester in combat in the middle of this round, where he fell again, short of his own record. I feel like that should count for at least plus 15 hot dogs for a variety 15. of reasons. What say you? Mike, Mike, I hear you. I, I love the idea of of doing that patriotic thing, getting you some hot dogs. But for the champion, with what he's won seven in a row, eight in a row at this point in time, I'm saying five max. Five hot dogs. That 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 technique gets you a five hot dog lead just because you took a break to assess a situation that no one else was there to assess. The police officer was sitting there looking silly and stupid. Joey basically had to tackle the guy into the announcer. The poor announcer had to like lift himself up and get his little wicker hat off the ground after getting tackled by Joey Chestnut while he had his uh, classic patented two dog in his mouth <laughs> chewing technique. It was. I mean, it was a sight to see. I, but, I mean, like, just think about that. One, you're right. The fact that anyone was allowed to get up there that close to the eaters is obviously a security concern that would deeply, you know, worry anybody because you don't want anyone on, to man. get hurt up there. But, yeah. again, for Joey to respond in that instance, like, man, the fight-or-flight reflex, that man chose fight in a hurry, but then managed to steady During himself. Competition. Like, well, that's what, And that's what I mean. That's why I want to afford him... Like, the asterisk next to this is kind of like I talked about with the asterisk next to the Lakers bubble championship. It is not a slight. It is an indication that you dealt with incredibly difficult and different mm. circumstances in okay. this and still managed to come out on top. That's my only point, is Joey Chestnut deserves some sort of special recognition for having to defeat someone in combat and then go and continue to beat the hot dogs and buns in front of him. That's all I'm saying. My thing is, with the real competitive eating historians... Will they always remember what Joey Chestnut did yesterday? No, I don't think so. I think it's going to be tough. You know, we know with every anything, as time goes on, I'm sure this will fade. But hopefully through the glory of the internet, this will be kept alive and people will at least remember the folklore surrounding this one. Because we've had a strange last three years in competitive eating. Again, 
indoor championship for this contest in 2020. Outdoor championship, but over where the Brooklyn Cyclones play in the baseball park in 2021. And now back on surf and still well this year, but Joey Chestnut's in a walking boot and has to fight off a protester. Like, you can't make this shit up. Yeah, no, th- yeah, you're right. You're right. We're we're still too many years close to the pandemic. We're still in that that wonky stage. Uh, you know, the eh, no, we're we're past we're past the pandemic in that regard. I don't think there's any more asterisks on any more championships uh, moving forward. This one would just be look like you know Joey Chestnut was you know, getting his legs back under him. I think it needs to be like an asterisk where the plus, because you know how the, the asterisk, there's technically a plus sign in it. Yes, there is. The plus needs to be highlighted because this to me is additive Ooh. in his greatness. This is not detract from his greatness. Again, asterisks don't mean worse. Major League Baseball and the steroid era controversies have True. made us think that asterisks are bad. They don't mean worse. They just mean different. And boy, oh boy, this highlight is going to live for a long time in the annals of this sports history contradicting what I just said but um no I absolutely think this needs to be recognized that he had to go and defend himself and then still eat dogs and that is worth note and that is worth extra praise even if he didn't break his own record which we become spoiled as fans of major league eating and as fans of this hot dog contest happening each and every year I want to move on for everyone but uh obviously you know condiments can be used they're just not would you would you Dive into the condiments to help you get these dogs down. I feel like mustard might be the way I go. Uh, no, because I think it's all about space and speed on this. This really isn't about taste. I saw, shout out to our friend Emerson Lazio, who does a great job working here at DraftKings. And he did a piece with Mickey Sudo and Nick Weary breaking this down. And they were coaching him up on eating the hot dogs and buns. And they basically said, you chew only until you get the smallest, like the largest possible piece that you can swallow whole. And then you just got to swallow. You just got to, the bun is just a chaser. It is not there to be any sort of like taste agent. And what you use is the water. That's really the condiment. That's the only lubricant you've got on the table. So if we're eating dogs for speed, no, I am not involving mustard in there, Brandon. I am not doing anything that I don't need going in the tank because then you risk the reverse that it get you disqualified for it coming out of the tank. Mm, yeah, yeah. I mean, don't want to get disqualified, but that technique is very, very dangerous. I, I'm now I'm compelled to next time we're in the same room together, we gotta, we gotta get, we gotta get some type of eating contest. Well, hopefully not wings, maybe boneless wings. But so, I can't do, I can't, I can't, I can't risk, I can't risk those. I can't risk those bones getting in my, you know, I got, I got kids. Listen, man, every food's got, comes with its own inherent risk. I did a competitive eating exhibition against Joey Chestnut down in uh, in Louisiana before the national championship in 2019. And we were doing powdered beignets. And I was asking him and one of the local competitive eaters who was doing the exhibition with us, hey, any advice? They said, don't inhale. Because if you inhale with the powdered sugar, it's all going to come back up on that. So you've got to be very Don't careful with the breathing. Inhale. Well, if you if you inhale when you go to take a bite, you're just going to end up in a coughing fit because there's all that powdered sugar there. But that in that in that one of the main parts of breathing. Yeah, but you do it after you chew and swallow, Brandon. Well, I hey hey, I don't know. Listen, I don't know. All, superhumans out, superhuman athletes out here. I don't know what they're doing. That, he told me what they were doing, Brandon. I ate 14 beignets in four minutes. Joey Chestnut ate 75. You said what? 
I 75 beignets. I wouldn't have believed it unless they were. I was right there next to him, Brandon. It was the scariest athletic performance I've ever witnessed in person because he was unfazed and went to tailgate after. Built different. Joey Chestnut. Congratulations on oh his 15th God. mustard belts. Now more individual champions than any other athlete in the history of sport. That man stands alone on the mountaintop. Congrats to Mickey Sudo as well for her championship. 40 hot dogs and buns in the women's division. Brandon, um, this has been interesting. So as we've looked into, and we're kind of covering still the extended NBA free agency dance mix, which just feels like an endless cycle of waking up and checking the odds on where Kevin Durant is going to get traded to at any particular moment, which... By the way, uh, as uh, the latest update I saw from our friends over at DraftKings Nation, the Raptors and Warriors have emerged as potential landing spots for KD. The Raptors have moved into the second best odds, according to DraftKings Sportsbook, at plus 350, while the Suns still remain the favorite. And, man, if you want to start, like, we talk all the time about Pat Riley and some of these guys in front offices. We did it with Danny Ainge for a long time in Boston, Mm -hmm. but, like, Man, Masai Ujiri, if he was able to pull that off, that is already a man who is never going to have to pay for a beverage for the rest of his life in Toronto. If he managed to pull that off in that with that team, my God, as someone said, whatever metal he wants the statue to be constructed in, get that thing going. I mean, it would be fair, too. I, as much as we want to give him credit, I feel like Kawhi Leonard set the, the, ground, the framework for how that looks. You go in there for a year serious get you your shooter and be about your business the entire time and you might go you might leave toronto with a championship which man at this point would be fascinated to see what that does for the narrative police that constantly guard kevin durant but at this point we still don't have any movement there brandon i wanted to talk to you about was this in lakerland because i feel like this might slide a bit under the radar because so much of this has been KD and Kyrie, KD and Kyrie as the sun and the moon in this now, because we've had so much of, you know, we digested the Rudy Gobert trade that led into all of this. Brian Windhorst and his cryptic appearance on first take. (laughs) Incredible meme potential there from Brian Windhorst. What he put on in that two and a half minutes at the first date take desk had everybody eating out of the palm of his hand was television gold. Whatever they're paying you, Wendy, it is not nearly enough. I will say that right now. I'm, I'll say I was like everybody else at that first take desk. No, I don't know. I don't know what you're saying. I, I don't. Are you going to tell us? I'd be excited if you told us. <laughs> Will you just please say it so we don't have to guess any more things and be wrong? Right. Like live God, on air. God, yeah. God bless all of them. Like I love Freddie Coleman to death, but Freddie was like, "All right, man. Like I've been in the game too long. Quit jerking us around and just tell me who he's going to." Right. But I want to talk to you, Brandon, about the Los Angeles Lakers, the team you're a fan of, because. I thought what's gone on here is pretty fascinating. Now, over the weekend, in Mark, si- Mark Stein, NBA insider, on his Substack, posted that, quote, nobody wants to see Irving in Lakerland, or excuse me, LeBron James, quote, wants to see Irving in Lakerland more than anybody. Now, the Lakers and Nets have been reportedly engaged in discussions surrounding Irving. There's been speculation wondering if that might take another year to really flesh out in the way that the Lakers want. But that happened in conjunction with this. A tweet from Jeannie Buss, the co-owner of the Lakers, obviously the the daughter of the late Dr. Jerry Buss. She sent out a tweet 
on July 3rd that said, quote, I miss KB, that being Kobe Bryant. He would understand and explain everything that I'm not allowed to. Honestly, he was the greatest Laker ever. He understood team over self, meaning your reward would come if you valued team goals over your own, then everything would fall into place. All can reply. Am I, is there any other way to read this other than it as shade towards LeBron James? Because that's how it reads to me. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I can't, I can't say that this is shade towards LeBron. I think Jeannie is upset with the entire situation. I think she's upset with Rob Palenka, rightfully so. I think she's upset with a lot of people in Lakerland that she's paying a lot of money to to make decisions that don't put her in the chair that she is currently in right now, which is a laughing stock of the league and, and begging and pleading that a Kyrie Irving who doesn't play a lot of basketball during the season uh, is going to be the savior uh, for the L.A. Lakers. So I, I hear it. If I'm reading this, if I'm reading this and I want to put on the, okay, Jeannie Buss is throwing shade at LeBron hat on, which I just can't because Jeannie got to be smarter than that. She she didn't come at Lavar Ball or Alonzo when when they were when they were uh, messing up the Lakers of uh, full tilt. Listen, she's got to realize that Kobe R.I.P. isn't walking through that door. Her, him being the best Laker, obviously debatable, and even she should be the one uh, be at the first at the table debating that. I think she's reeling at this point in time. She's trying to blame everyone else for decisions that Lord knows if she's even at the at the helm of, of the reason why everything's going wrong. But winning cures all, and Lakers have been doing a lot of losing here lately, which leads to a tweet like this. I, I like I, I'd just be curious from anyone who reads this and says I'm wrong in interpreting this as shade based on the current juncture that we're at right now. Because towards LeBron. Yes. Or, I mean, you could even do it as towards whatever leadership is on the Lakers. But man, oh man, based on what we've seen, the coaching change, and how we know that franchise operates, it's hard-pressed, especially as she brings up the player that would have been the leader on the court. It just seems like it's talking about LeBron, especially because, like you said, we know how LeBron operates. The GM thing might get overblown at times, but we know he's got significant input, that his voice matters in these conversations. And that if there was anyone who could bang the gavel and say, hey, I can handle Kyrie Irving. I have played with him before. We went through the whole cycle of Kyrie leaving to get out of Bron's shadow, apologizing to LeBron when he was in Boston, saying, I didn't know how tough this was to do what you do. And so I'm sure LeBron, who is also desperate to salvage the end of his Lakers tenure, is saying, hey, it's worth the risk because I know better. And I just don't know how you could be surprised or act like that's something that's out of bounds at this point. If you were the Lakers, if that was truly what this was about, because that's exactly what got you the championship that you hoisted in 2020 in the first place, was trading everybody and their mama away to get Anthony Davis and have him, having him be the best player in the bubble during that postseason run and arguably the 1B on that team during that finals, uh, that finals win for them. 
Like, that was how you got there. And more importantly, that is how LeBron James has gone about constructing rosters wherever he's been. Everyone understands there's pressure to perform every year. And if it's not delivered in January, LeBron will get restless and all of a sudden the trade deadline becomes interesting. So I I would just be stunned that, like you said, maybe it's just bad feelings from the franchise not feeling like they've performed the level they need to in the last couple of years. But it's just very odd that something like this would get to public knowing the state of this franchise as well and what they're trying to do right now. Okay, she said he understood, talking about Kobe Bryant, he understood team over self, meaning your rewards will come if you value team goals over your own, then everything will fall into place. You don't think LeBron James knows that? You don't think LeBron James has operated this way up until the point where he got to the Lakers? That I, I feel like there was a, a lot of missteps. Uh, Magic Johnson being the, the president of basketball operations when LeBron gets there as one of the biggest missteps that, that was in LeBron's way. Like, he is trying to put the team over himself. What does she think that he's like chasing uh, Kareem Abdul Jabbar's all time scoring? like moniker and it's getting in the way for the Lakers to do what you need to do. The Lakers have been shit building teams since, I don't know, Paul Gasol left. Like, I I, I think this is yeah, ridiculous. I mean, since, to, since the end of the Kobe Bryant era. Like, yeah, but to, to put that, to put that on LeBron, obviously whatever she did to get LeBron there, whatever voodoo and, and magic, it was that's not a hard sell. It's the freaking Lakers and it's LeBron James. And he got you his, it, a, a championship with it outside of all of these extenuating circumstances, coaches, injuries, youth with that, with that, that youth team that, that he drafted Lonzo ball. Like, listen, Kyrie is working out in Los Angeles right now, waiting for things to figure themselves out. I, I got caught up in the Kyrie way. Kyrie Irving is, is the saving grace for the Lakers wave. But if you're a Lakers fan, any and everyone looks like that. And you, you'll constantly – I know I wouldn't be excited about Rudy Gobert getting added to the team, but outside of that, I'd be excited for someone who's been a consistent all-star to join the, the LeBron James Lakers, especially at this point in time in LeBron James's career. I love that he comes out more rejuvenated and refreshed after these time periods, but it's not LeBron's fault that they gave Russell Westbrook all that money. And if you're telling me that it is his fault, I mean, if you're telling me that it is his, he certainly played a role in that. I mean, Russell Westbrook seemed like someone that LeBron James wanted on that team. Let's put it this way, Brandon: If LeBron James, it's probably overstated that he is out there doing the signings and everything like that. Although everyone has their theories about clutch sports and its stranglehold on the league, at the very least. That signing does not happen without LeBron James' approval, and it seemed to be someone that he wanted there. So he's got he's got to wear part of that. Yeah, but also something that didn't happen because I do think that LeBron is, is taking his foot off the pedal. Le, Le GM is taking his foot off the pedal in the decision making. Something that happened last year that was unprecedented. Nothing happened at that trade deadline, Mike. Nothing happened. The Lakers made zero moves at the trade deadline. It was unheard of, unthinkable, and I think that was proof to me that that LeBron James and Rob Palenka aren't on the same tier. I think Rob Palenka might think Kobe Bryant's the, the greatest Laker and is making moves to, to trash 
whatever LeBron James has left with the Lakers. Like, I honestly feel like they are not Brandon. setting that team up. They're not setting that team Brandon. up for LeBron James. There, are. there is no way Rob Polinka would do that because Rob Polinka knows if someone's losing their job in this mess at any point because of how the team is built, it's Rob Polinka. They're not firing Rob Lowe over nothing to dealing with LeBron James. They're not. If it is, if it comes down to like anything else, the star player is not or Rob Polinka. All right. I'm just if you think they would keep Rob if it was if it was some sort of internal grudge match and it was LeBron James versus anybody there south of Jeannie Bus, that person will no longer be there. Like, that family business that and the loyalty in that family business is tied to individuals and that are that aren't in a jersey. Not at this point in time. I mean, that's all fine and good. Even the Kobe, even like to invoke Kobe's name on this, like he didn't try and force a trade almost at one point to get out of there. Like, we don't need to right. do we don't in need 07. to we don't need to do the revisionist history on that. Kobe was a great Laker, but that was not a ter- like perfect tenure when it comes to being a model teammate and citizen. And not not to say that him get Shaq like Shaq exists. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not saying that all this was on the backs of Kobe and that he didn't have to, you know, you know, put the team over himself as he tried to feed Shaq the most he possibly could while Shaq was on the court. But like, come on, Jeannie. Jeannie, this this shows just how removed from the actual logistics, in my opinion, that Jeannie Bus is at this point in time. She's just getting her shit off like like Halsey on her burner Twitter. You know, like I I think I think Jeannie is just just in her feels right now it's and is expressing it it is interesting like we talk about twitter as an outlet for players it seems to be an outlet for everybody right now and i just wonder how good of business that is for you in ownership to be out here popping off like that we've seen that with the nets i think joe size son was out here either liking or retweeting criticism of kevin durant as a leader in that organization which Boy, oh boy, if you want to talk about, and I understand a lot of people are starting to do the thing where they're like, you know, the Nets should just tell them to sit. They have the leverage in this spot. Like, we've seen these scenarios play out a million different times with star players who want to get out of their situation in the league. And you know what happens almost every time? The star player gets what they want and gets out of that situation in the league. Like, the Nets need to be careful in how they handle this situation as an organization because you worked very hard to get two stars to come through your doors. And if you would like any more to come through your doors after that, you need to watch the way you talk about this in public because right, wrong, or indifferent, however you perceive it, this is a league where the star players control what goes on, can dictate how they move, and that's just the fact. So if you want to act like that's not the world, feel free to keep coming out here and having your organization in your front office linked to negative comments about those players. And if you don't want to have that happen, then just deal with this as best you can. Try and get the most out of this that you can and hope it works out better next time with players that are a little bit less volatile. Okay. I like all the things that you just said. I hear you and I feel you. But let's let's keep in mind when this tweet came out. This is Summer League, right? This isn't, some, this isn't a tweet that came out after the play-in after losing a playing game or or ramping up into into seeding like this is simply her getting her shit off and honestly other nba stars that may want to channel their inner kobe like you know what that's why i need to be with the lakers i'm all about i'm all about team over self like that's where i'm gonna win genie wants me you think genie was talking to me 
Like this is this is recruiting as much as anyone else, and I don't think it's uh, deterring anyone who's already on that current roster. I because I, I I guarantee you, you know, sometimes I tweet you some, I, sometimes I send you a tweet every now and then, like, hey Mike, you think this is worth it? I bet Jeannie sent this to LeBron, like, hey LeBron, um, you don't you won't get any heat from this, right? Like this doesn't. This is coming, and I'm not mad at you. I wish I wish everyone could see the face that I'm making at you right now, because it is one of utter disbelief. I just I'm gonna be fascinated. All can reply. You know all what? can reply. You know she what? ends it with all can reply. This is, that, that's the softest like that's softest. Uh, it's like saying something mad disrespectful and then saying respectfully. I, Brandon, I am going to go, and I believe uh, it was Bamani Jones that said this. Between LeBron James and Jeannie Buss, this could be one of the more passive-aggressive off-seasons. Yeah, here it is. Jeannie Buss and LeBron setting up to be an all-time passive-aggressive clash. Because we know no one loves subtweeting more than LeBron James and getting out there in the mentions as well. I am just going to sit around and pray to God that he replies at some point in time. So, we will wait to see how that drama shakes out. As right now, again... Lakerland, Kyrie Irving, maybe that collision comes sooner than expected. Maybe Masai Ujiri is getting a statue if he can get Kevin Durant to Toronto. The NBA offseason is doing the thing again, and we have double pistols, Brian Windhorse, somehow to thank for all of it, at least in my personal record book. We're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we'll have Eagles All-Pro right tackle Lane Johnson with us next. Growing up playing sports, I learned really quickly that how you do the little things is how you're going to do everything. That's why coaches always harped on us about having our hand behind the line on sprints or picking up our locker because that was going to directly translate to critical moments on the field, making sure we're lined up right, taking the right steps so we can go out there and execute and win ball games. Small actions can have big benefits, just like how taking care of your gut can support your entire body's health. That's where our friends at Seed come into play. Seed's DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic is going to benefit your gut, skin, and heart health in just two little capsules a day. I just got my welcome kit and started taking Seed's DSO-1 myself and I'm loving it. I love the convenience of being able to have it in the cabinet with my other supplements because you don't need to worry about refrigerating it and I love the free travel vial that comes along with it. I'm constantly on the road and so being able to take DSO-1 with me on the go is huge for my lifestyle here. I'll tell you what else I love is the fact that it's backed by science. DSO-1 was developed in collaboration with Seed Scientific Board and based on their foundational work in probiotics and the microbiome and with new clinical trials and breakthrough research published in top scientific journals, Seed's probiotic research development and innovation programs make DSO-1 a product you can trust and it's great in convenience too. Probiotics and prebiotics work best when they're used consistently just like any other routine health habit. And Seed's subscription service is going to easily help build DSO-1 into your routine, again with no refrigeration required. So, trust your gut with Seed's DSO-1 daily symbiotic. Go to seed.com slash gojo and use code 25gojo to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DSO-1 DSO-1 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash gojo, code 25gojo. All right, we're joined by Super Bowl champion and all-pro right tackle Lane Johnson of the Philadelphia Eagles. Lane, what's going on, man? How you doing? Man, getting ready for training camp. We start the 25th, so a little bit less than a month away. So uh, dog days of summer. It's hot here in Oklahoma, so just uh, taking it day by day, yeah, just getting ready. So I wasn't sure if you were going to be in Oklahoma or at the Bro Barn that everyone's heard so much about since last year. Yeah, no, that's that's back in Jersey. So uh, yeah, I hired a full time trainer, and um, 
So when I'm down, da- I'm down here. He just sends me the workouts. I got a training partner down here, but a lot of the guys are up there using the using the place whenever I'm gone. So uh, yeah, it's still f- fully functional even even when I'm not there. How many wood ways you got in that thing? What'd you say? How many wood ways do you got in that thing? You said wood ways? Yeah, wood ways. The, the treadmills. Oh uh, man, we got we got one. We have a, a a bunch of cardio equipment. We got like the skier. We got the bursa climber. We got the road bike. Probably the worst thing we do though is like we have like the Bulgarian bags and we'll do like swings, of, like ten oh. to the right, ten to the left, ten push-ups, and then do like five rounds of that. That's probably the toughest thing we do. That that and the prowler said y'all know about the prowler said that that thing will kill you too. But that's probably the worst thing we do. So in general, when you guys are training up there, like it's a lot of the O linemen in there. I know they wrote the story about Jalen coming to work out with you guys in the barn and everything last year too. How's he? How's he fit into that group? Because he seems like a strong. You know what? He's yeah. No, no, he's really strong. So he he actually comes pretty early in the morning. So I think he does like his weightlifting training. Um, with Gabe, Gabe Rangel is my trainer, so he does that. And then I think he goes and like does like stuff with the receivers after, and then we lift later on in the morning. The old lineman, so it's usually me, uh, Nate Herbig, uh, John Runyon Jr., Cesar Ruiz, and then whoever else uh, wants to join. Sometimes we'll get Baldy will be in there a lot. He'll be in there lifting or coming over to watch or whatever because you know uh, NFL uh, films isn't that far from it. Uh, but yeah, it's pretty fun. I mean. A lot of times we're, we're bullshitting, working out, uh, cracking jokes, but because we got to, because it's, it, I mean, the workouts are pretty intense. Uh, but yeah, man, it's been fun. It's been a lot of fun. Um, and it's a lot easier when you have guys to work with and, and it makes it all worthwhile, you know. It, well, and I bring up, you know, Jalen coming over there and working with you guys because you mentioned it. That's a grind in there. Your quarterback putting his hand in the pile. Like, just in general for you, I feel like the outside world spends so much time talking about your quarterback. What kind of impression has Jalen made on you guys in a short time in that locker room? Man, uh, you know, a lot of it goes down to what you do every day. So, I mean, he, he works his, he works his ass off. Um, uh, what I liked about him is that he always has a calm demeanor about him. It's like much with a head coach like you seeing Andy Reid or guys like a Bill Belichick that are always calm under pressure or or if they're in a bad situation you know the teammate teams feed off that energy so when you have that presence it's always um keeps the keeps the team calm I guess in the huddle or in the games but as far as uh, work ethic I mean he works his tail off a lot of stuff he does with uh Gabe is like you know Tom House like the quarterback guru so they had you know, entirely different workouts than what we may have, but he is super strong. He was a power lifter in high school, so he's got crazy strong squat, deadlift, uh, things like that. But, uh, but yeah, man, I, I'm excited about this year. I know we loaded up, um, you know, with A.J. Brown. Offense is looking good. We got some good guys in the draft, so I'm thinking, um, you know, on paper we're looking really good right now, but as you know, that can that can go away real quick. You got to take it game, uh, day by day, but yeah, man, uh, Jalen's looking good. I think he's a little bit more muster than what he was last year. Um, but, yeah, man, it's uh, it's always nice having a quarterback that can have that escapability, mobility in the pocket. It makes it easier for the O-line, as you know. I mean, it's fun to watch him play every every chance you get. Uh, obviously, you're, you say you're a big fan of him being around him in the locker room, but the fact that he helped your Oklahoma Sooners – that that one season, did that, did that add any 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 little uh, extra grease uh, when it comes to you? 
Yeah, uh, sometimes he'll wear his Alabama stuff in the locker room, and sometimes he'll wear his OU. I said, uh, "Are you switching sides on us?" I said, I said <laughs> "Yeah, no, got to got to declare allegiance at some point on that front. At some point, you got to take a stand." You mentioned AJ Brown. What kind of uh, what kind of what have you seen from him so far? I know you guys just getting through the offseason program. You're in the break right now, but when you saw that trade go down on draft day, what was the first thought for you? I was going, woo, you know, because, uh, you know, I've had, we, we've had Deshaun Jackson, but, you know, I never looked out there and seen like a Julio Jones type of presence. But, you know, when I look at it, you know, I keep comparing him to like an Anquan Bowden or an Andre Johnson type build. You know, about 6'1", 6'2", about 225. So he has, you know, he can, he can move people at the second level and, and that's underestimated, man. A lot of big-time plays are made at the receiver position blocking downfield. So, he plays very physical. Um, and I think he's going to compliment Devontae very well. I think it's going to help out Quez Watkins, uh, Dallas. I just think it's – as you know, as you get more firepower, it opens up lanes for other players to, to have opportunities. So, you know, I really don't give a damn who gets the ball as long as they, as long as they get some yards, you know. Uh, I wanted to know, what have you consistently seen from these players that have come in from other franchises? Like, you've been there, you know – at, with the Eagles tried and true this entire time. Like, is what's this? Could you, is there a consistent chip on the shoulder for these guys that are coming in trying to make a name for themselves in Philadelphia? Yeah, well, I think with Philly, man, it's, uh, it's a place where you can never, you know, really get fully comfortable. It's always, uh, you know, it's a big media market. Um, it is intimidating at times, but uh, having said that, man, it can make you uh, become your best self, uh, it can be your biggest motivator. So, uh, what I've seen guys come in, as long as they work hard, they have a good attitude, really, the city embraces them. And whenever you make plays, uh, you know, it just it just helps um, helps the whole cause. But, uh, yeah, I mean, really, it, it is an embracing city. Um, and I know he's excited. AJ's excited to get here. Um, but, yeah, when, I remember when I was a rookie coming in, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, it is, it is intimidating, man. It's a uh, – especially when you go into the link or an open practice for the first time, you're going, wow, man, these – these people are football crazy like it is back here in Texas or whatever. So, yeah, man, it, uh, especially for the younger guys, you can see it. You Maybe the first couple of practices in the link, there's probably, you know, 20, 30,000 just out of practice, and they're kind of <laughs> looking around. But, yeah, man, it's, it's all part of the process. How much has your role changed? Because you are really – I mean, you look around at you and Kelsey as the elder statesman of this team. You've got – young skill players that you mentioned, certainly a quarterback who's a young player in this league, and a head coach in Nick Sirianni who is young and just in his second year in the city. So how has it changed the way you have to approach your role on the team? Uh, I just try to uh, lead by example, I guess, uh, in meetings or or practice. Really, just for me, just I just try to bring the intensity. And uh, I think that's really the best way to lead. But, uh, you know, with Nick, or just really our coaches have in general, I feel like the age gap isn't too much. So I feel like the communication factor is really, really big, maybe more than what it's ever been as far as my tenure in the NFL. Um, just great communication. I think you need that uh, across the board. And that goes to all of our, our coordinators um, and everybody. So I feel like our, our communication uh, with even the whole team has been uh, much improved. Um, and you need that, man. You really do. Um, Cause we're all in the same together. And, uh, even last year, whenever, you know, the first uh, few weeks, our offense wasn't looking good. And then we switched to, to what we were to a play action heavy um, run the ball team. So 
and that comes with communication, man. And some people putting their pride aside and, you know, really want the best for the team. And, and that's what happened. And that's why uh, I think we got a good, solid group and, and just try to continue to build. Like, uh, I know the NFC East has, has been the laughing, laughing stock of the league the past few years, but, you know, we're trying to change that. And, uh, and I know the other teams are as well. When you said communication there, is that something where you guys are going to the coaches and saying, hey, we, we got this experienced line up front. We got some dogs. Let us go yeah, work. Yeah, yeah. He'll come to us. A lot of times he'll come to, to Kelsey and I or, um, you know, even even like mid-game, uh, he'll come He'll come to Coach Stoutland, our O-line coach, uh, Coach Roy, and say, hey, man, what are you thinking? What are you seeing? And a lot of, you know, a lot of our calls are pretty much every call is made by Kelsey. So, um, a lot of it, he goes on and asks him what he, what's what is he seeing out there, and uh, Kelsey's is almost like another coach out there with how intelligent he is. So um, just kind of take it back and forth. But yeah, um, that's really that's how my roles have changed. Uh, me and Kelsey sit in the back. He's thirty four. I'm thirty two. Everybody else is twenty two, twenty four. So it's like uh, seeing ourselves in a former life, uh, them living it. So it's uh, it's a lot of fun. Just uh, but. As an older guy, man, you need that young energy. You got to have it. Those guys, youthful, uh, joking around. It's it's fun to watch, man. It keeps keeps me going. It keeps him going. With Kels, the draft was super interesting because everyone made that big deal about that clip of him and Lefko talking when you guys drafted Cam Jurgensen yeah. out of uh, Nebraska. And Kels saying, you know, the front office had asked him to help scout like that. Yeah. I mean, you knowing Kelsey the way that you do, did that surprise you at all? I mean, was no. there was there any weirdness about him essentially scouting a guy that could be his replacement eventually? Well, no, it's like, you know, we've been playing the game so long. It's what is his 12th season or 13th, one of them. I think it's his 12th. But we've seen guys, you know, every year they bring in free agents. They bring in uh, new guys. And after a couple of practices, me and Kelsey could tell, okay, this guy, this guy's going to make it. This guy's not going to make it. You can tell within a few practices if a guy has – Good balance, good uh, good body control, uh, good awareness. You can you can tell all that pretty quick. Um, you know, at least from a couple practices, it may be different. You know, from uh, it's kind of hard to see that unless I guess you're seeing that stuff at the Senior Bowl or going to to do a private workout. But yeah, I think he's had a lot of experience. He's seen a lot of people come and go, and he knows he knows uh, what works and what doesn't. But I think what what he wanted or what we like at the center position is uh you got to be athletic man you got to be able to get to the second level our coach always talks about vertical voids which is getting up to the linebackers very quickly before they have a chance to plug those gaps um and being uh, being very uh, savvy in the spring in the in the in the uh, screen game as well the nba playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings sportsbook an official sports betting partner of the nba with same-game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. And if you're new to DraftKings, you got to check this out. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code GOJO. That's code GOJO for new customers to get 150 in bonus bets when you bet just 5 bucks. Only on DraftKings. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for 
eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. So that wasn't uncomfortable for Kelsey at all, though, being asked to do that? Uh, I mean, I think at first, but then – but. But once he got in, and I think he saw some of the players. Like I know he liked Linderbaum too, and I know he liked Cam. Um, but yeah, just from him watching players over the years in the league, he's got a good knack for that. It's just incredible humility, and I think great leadership that a guy who, while he's still you know the guy and still the starter and still an important guy, can basically go out there and help bring someone in who may one day, you know, be the guy that, you know, is the center after him or helps out this team after him. I don't know how many guys around the NFL would be comfortable doing that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I really couldn't tell you either. Uh, yeah. It's an interesting situation he's in, but yeah, I mean, I know he, he wants what's best for the team. And I think maybe his next Avenue after football, if it's not media, it could be in, in scouting or personnel or player development. So that's always right around the corner for him. So maybe just a, a stepping stone into that. Definitely. Well, he's he's got a lot of good football left in him still, I'd imagine. So I'm uh, I, looking forward to that. But Lane, part of the reason we wanted to talk to you here also was O-Line Masterminds is coming up. You know, as, as When this will run, it'll be this coming weekend. So for you, for any people that might not be aware, because we've seen a lot of these pop up, tight end you just got done. Von Miller has the pass rush yeah, academy. Yeah. So I, I think Von started it all off, and then – I was seeing that, and I was like, well, uh, it all started with the NFL Top 100 a few uh, – like five years ago. I was like, man, we need to get a group together to see how to to, to stop all these guys. So, And uh, that's how it originally started. Uh, I think it started with probably like around 30, 40 guys, and now we're up to 200. But my whole uh, premise was – I remember when I was coming out, I've only played tackle for two years, and so I didn't have a whole lot of tape. I didn't know who was the who of – tackles like I heard Walter Jones was good I heard Anthony Munoz and I was like trying to seek as much as much knowledge as I could um you know going to the NFL and uh and I felt kind of like I was um kind of behind the, the ball a little bit but having these guys like we have we have Steve Hutchinson coming in this year uh Willie Rove uh, Mark Schlereth um I think Will Shields is going to be there so you know you have a Hall of Fame guys uh, come in and describing how they approach the game uh, how they practice, uh, maybe how they train, their diet. Hey, man, these college kids, uh, you know, a lot of these guys are top prospects coming in. Man, that can save them a lot of time. That can say that can that can alter people's careers just having those conversations with those guys. Uh, and that's really all it's turned into. Uh, Olin Cruz was there last year, but I remember um, uh, whenever Baldinger sat down with Joe Thomas, and Joe Thomas was talking about how he approached the combination block, how he approached set lines, and that was just me watching a video, and I was like. I use that to my game. Uh, you know, Joe Thomas always talks about hitting the hip to move the defender. I was like, you know, I never thought of that. And so just little stuff like that. I was wanting to get all these guys in the room um, and really just talk ball. And, yeah, we um, – and, and we look at different defenders and, uh, and pass rushers and, and, and pretty much break down how to attack them or, or how they approach the game. So just really you get a lot of great insight from a lot of great players. So um, – that's been the biggest joy, yeah. And then we have breakout sessions, and, you know, we'll go eat, go have a nice dinner. I think we had a wing-eating contest the past two times, so that's always fun. But, yeah, man, uh, what I like most is, like, a lot of these college kids uh, are coming in and really um, just want to soak it all in. I think that those guys, along with, along with uh, some of the NFL younger guys, are getting the most out of it. I mean, you mentioned playing tackle for the last two years of your college career and kind of being new to it. 
how how do you think playing multiple positions in football helped you in your career as an NFL player now? Because me, I, I was a nose guard my entire career. The farthest I got was a five technique. You know what I'm saying? Like I yeah. was just always on, on the line. Yeah, there. you're always in, inside. Yeah, I had to learn about coverages and, and you know what 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 I was doing meant for the linebackers. So uh, how do you think that helped you in your career? Uh, quarterback. I know it didn't help me none. I just I just remember when I was a quarterback, I got tired of seeing me run all these sprints and all these linemen just sitting over there in D line and working on bags. I'm like, man, these. These damn guys ain't doing shit over there. Out there, barely break my sweat. And then now I'm on the other side. And I'm like, man, fuck these, fuck these receivers. They ain't, they ain't, fuck, they ain't moving no weight. They ain't doing nothing. So, so I got a two, uh, two side story to that. But uh, yeah, I think uh, the the biggest transition was from my initially when I went to Oklahoma. I uh, played tight end, and I man, I remember getting my just my my teeth kicked in. Uh, they had uh, Jermaine Gresham was there at the time. Uh, mm. They had Jeremy Bill, like Frank Alexander, Joe, Joe McCoy, uh, Trent Williams was there. So just uh, yeah, it t- it was a it was a learning curve for at least uh, two years. Uh, I played a little bit of defensive end, but really just those two years uh, when I wasn't playing, I was on the scout team, uh, blocking, and then I got to rush the pass a little bit. So just getting in that in that trenches a little bit helped me. But I think what helped me the most was I was a basketball player growing up. Like I played football, I love football, but I love basketball more, and I felt like. Whenever I moved to tackle, except for the bull rush, you know, I was just moving my feet, mirroring guys, and then eventually learn how to, um, you know, uh, engage in bull rushes and, and learn how to absorb the, the power and get the footwork right. But a, a lot of it, I feel like, came naturally as far as just from a basketball background and moving my feet. Um, so I'd say that. It's, yeah, I mean uh... – you're, I mean, a freak athlete, and everyone who watches you, you kind of understand. I think that's one of the, the interesting parts about O-line is you got to kind of understand what your limitations are. So there's a lot of things guys will watch you do that maybe they can't do the same exact way, but there's still so much that you can all glean from that. You mentioned, and one of the coolest parts about being at Masterminds last year was seeing guys like you, Teron Armstead, Ryan Jensen, being able to talk to the young players, the college players. When you get a hold of a young guy who's in college or just starting out in the league, what do you try and communicate to them to help kind of catch them up to speed the way that you wish someone had for you back in the day? Uh, we got to realize, man, before a play, there's only so much you can think about. Like, we talk about a lot of stuff, but in reality, when you get to the line of scrimmage, there's only a few things you can focus on. A lot of it is the alignment of the, the D-tackle, the D-end, so your alignments. And then nine times out of ten, you're going to be in a great position if you explode out of your stance. If you can get to um, the position of where, you know, the, the defensive end has a certain yardage they're trying to get to, if you can beat them to the point of attack, you're going to save yourself a lot of trouble. When you look at guards or you look at Aaron Donald, he's already a step and a half before these guys get out of their stance and they get turned. And, you know, that's what they want. They want guards to turn. Um, um, they want tackles to turn. But it's, I think a lot of it's about explosion out of stance. So that's one thing that we always preach about. And then uh, the second thing is they always ask about what to do with hands. So when I was in college, uh, our coaches always told us to keep our hands up, ready to punch, punch, punch. We are always taught to punch. And then when I got to league uh, – Coach Stoutland, who was at Alabama for a long time, um, or was the old line coach at Alabama, he was uh, always looking at the pictures of, like, the the Walter Jones, the uh, the Jonathan Ogdens, the Orlando Paces, and they all had that low-hand stance when they were in their pass set. And it was almost like um, 
you know, whenever you don't give the defender your hand sometimes, they don't know what to do except bull rush. So, maybe a lot of stuff was, uh, I don't want to say taught wrong, but it's just a misconception. And I think with the O-line, man, it's, it's all, you know, everybody has a different style of play. Like Trent Williams, there, there's only going to be one Trent Williams. Yeah. There's only going to be uh, one, one Orlando Pace. But but you can take a piece from their game and maybe implement it into your game. Um, there's a, what some of the guys I respect the most are the guys that maybe aren't the freakiest of athletes, but are some of the best players. Um, I would say like Mitch, Mitchell Schwartz, like he would talk about how he wasn't the most athletic, but he was probably the smartest football player, probably as an all in cycle that maybe there's ever been. Um, you know, he was a four or five time all pro. He understood set lines, he understood angles, he understood uh, hand placement. And um, those are probably the guys I respect the most. Maybe the guys that aren't, you know, the Trent Williams of the world, but are still among the most dominant O-linemen in the league. Um, but like I said, that's, that's what it is. The O-line is like artwork. Everybody has their different style of play. And I think it's what guys can see whenever they whenever they come here and, and watch different guys on film. Lane, and part of watching, uh, watching a lot of different guys on film, you guys also study a lot of the defensive players and break down some of that at Masterminds. Would be remiss if we didn't ask you before we uh, before we let you go here. As you study, you know, guys every year, as you study some of the players that you know we'll we'll talk about at Masterminds. In your mind, who are some of the top edge rushers in the league right now? Who are the guys that you spend extra time looking at when it comes to getting ready for the season or game week? Man, I think when I talk to a lot of people, uh, the guy that comes to mind uh, is Chandler Jones. He's mm. one of the guys that. You know, he, he doesn't have the athleticism of Miles Garrett, but he's so long and he's so good with his hands and he's so clever. And his production has been off the charts. Uh, TJ Watt, um, you know, you got the Bonds, the Khalils, the Bosa brothers, uh, Miles Garrett. I mean, those guys um, are just tremendous athletes. But a lot of them are, man, they're, what you don't realize, man, they're super smart. These guys pick up on your stances that when they're in the film room, they look at stances. If your foot's farther back, okay, it's a pass. If his foot's closer together, if his stance is different, it's a run. They pick up on all that stuff. A, a lot of guys, um, I feel like a lot of D tackles will look whenever uh, whenever they're rushing. If that guard's foot, inside foot is moved over a lot, they're going to go inside. If it doesn't move at all, they're going to they're going to rush straight. So just a lot of little stuff uh, with these players. Um, you know, being great athletes, they're also very smart. So you got to be, you got to be aware of what you're presenting um, as an O-lineman. And that's one thing uh, Jason Peters always told me is that, you know, these guys are going to rush based off of what you present them. If you underset them, they're going to go around you. If you overset them, they're going to go up under you. So, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of what you get is what you present them. So if you, if you have a low, a low base and, and good hands and get, and get out of your, um, stance pretty quickly a lot of times you're going to win but you know every now and then I don't care who you are a hall of famer is going to get humbled somebody's going to get put on their ass during some point in the season it is what it is that's why the NFL is, is such a great league I love watching your D-line room I always have but yeah. especially Fletcher Cox I mean I mean there's it's some technique technique sessions going on in there you know just uh, yeah uh, and, and playing using the hump like you don't usually see anyone use the hump Reggie, that was just Reggie White only. Reggie. But Fletcher Cox, Fletcher Cox is, has mastered the hump as well, so he's dangerous. Yeah, he does that. Uh, I know. I'll notice like Ionitis a lot. He'll do that. We'll do the, the uh, 
rip and then hump. Mm-hmm. He's got me with that a few times. Uh, Fletch does that a lot. But yeah, man, they're savvy. Uh, and I'm anxious to see, uh, you know, we got Jordan Davis in there too. So it's, it's going to be him, Javon Hargrave, and Fletch. I'm going lions and tigers and bears out there. <laughs> oh my, <laughs> you better watch out. Uh, yeah, man. Uh, I'm excited about the season. I'm excited about this, uh, about the summit coming up. Um, what I like seeing, man, uh, I like seeing a bunch of the, the, the guys that I haven't got a chance to spoke to, like Steve is coming. I'm excited about him. Uh, Olin's coming again. Uh, Mark, Mark Schlereth coming. Um, so just guys, you know, that are, you know, Hall of Famers, you know, some of the best to ever do it and just, uh, get a conversation with them going, uh, what it's all about. So, man, I'm, I'm excited about it. It's an awesome event, man. Uh, super fortunate that you guys have let me come out for the last couple of years, but excited to see everyone down there again. That fellowship is an incredible part of all of this. What you've done bringing all these O-linemen together is awesome, man. So really appreciate it. I mean, the perfect note to send you out on on this, and I, I shit you not, we saw this just come across the line as we were talking with you, a WFAN caller called in and said that apparently your head coach, Nick Sirianni, was ready to throw down on a tennis court because someone was out there wearing a New York Giants ball cap on the tennis courts that he was playing at here. So as if this guy wasn't already endearing himself to Eagles fans enough, apparently he's out here trying to make good and damn well sure that nobody on the tennis court is rocking Giants colors while he's around. That's perfect. Hey, hey man, hey, uh, hope, hopefully he didn't get in a fight, but, but if he did, I wouldn't be mad at him. <laughs> there we go. Awesome stuff, Lane. We appreciate it, man. Thanks so much. I appreciate y'all. Thank y'all. Sound the trumpets. It's horse racing time. So saddle up for the action with DK Horse, an official DraftKings affiliate. Right now, new customers who download the DK Horse app can get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250. Just deposit $25 or more and complete the playthrough requirement. Wager on your favorite horses, then watch the races live right in the app. Download the DK Horse app now. New customers get a 100% deposit bonus up to $250 when they opt in with code GOLIT. Only on the DK Horse app. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER, 18+, plus, 21+, plus in certain states, to open or access an account and resident of a state where DK Horse is available. Eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. One per new customer. Match calculated on first deposit up to a maximum of $250. Deposit requires two-time playthrough of settled wager within 168 hours. Bonus released in $25 increments. Deposit and eligibility restrictions apply. See terms at dkhorse.com. Awesome stuff from Lane. Obviously appreciate his time. That is a guy that, you know, as a former big person, I have enjoyed watching for a long time. Been one of the standards in the league at that position and doing a great job of trying to give back to younger guys coming up and try and give them a shot and an opportunity to have a career even close to what Lane has had. So again, we'll visit with other guys as we go along with Beef Week here leading up to the O-Line Mastermind Summit this upcoming weekend. But... Before we went on too much further and wanted to make sure we had this in the middle, we'll you know we have everything time coded usually in descriptions. We'll have that here as well, but um, didn't want to let it go as you know this was recorded you know, the day of July fourth, and so with the celebration that so many people were enjoying, we also had yet another tragedy related to mass shooting in this country in Highland Park, a Chicago suburb, on Monday. At least six people were killed and at least 30 injured as of the recording of this right now when a lone gunman with a high-powered rifle 
rain down bullets on the town's 4th of July parade from a nearby building. And listen, this is a holiday that's already tough, you know, uh, in a lot of ways, the American identity is a little complicated right now for people as we look at what this country is going through, the things that happen here on a consistent basis. But with this in particular, it, it's easy to become bogged down by the weight of this. And I think for so many people, it's easy to also try and push it to the side and say you're going to enjoy your holiday weekend, but wanted to make some mention of it because these are people's lives who are tragically lost. And just because we had to do this in Buffalo and Uvalde recently, and it feels like we've been saying so many of the same things, it's just important to make sure that we keep pressure on the right people as this goes along. There's been recent gun reform legislation passed in Congress. Lawmakers in New York have been fighting for stricter gun laws after the Supreme Court's decision to allow carrying of firearms in public. But as long as this keeps happening as often as it does in as many different places as it does in this country and really this country alone... We've got to keep pressure on the right people to make sure that changes are made, changes that the vast majority of the public believes are necessary when it comes to common sense gun laws and the things that can at least try to help. And there has been some effort, but some and a little bit and incremental is not going to come close to addressing this in a way that helps to put a dent in all of this. So I, if people are tired of hearing about it, believe me. We would much rather not have to talk about this. But Brandon, that's not where we are at this point. So obviously your your thoughts and prayers are with that community. But man, thoughts and prayers don't seem to be doing a good enough job of protecting a lot of this. So we will keep that community in our thoughts. They're going to need, like so many of these other communities, help in healing from this, if that's even possible at this juncture, whatever that looks like for the people involved who had their freedom taken from them on this day, who had so much of what this day was supposed to mean for them stolen in this horrific fashion. So hopefully we can just continue to keep this top of mind and keep pressing on it. I know that it feels like there's so much going on at once and it can be overwhelming and by all means take care of yourselves in the process, but you don't want to just be sitting around here waiting for your turn. You don't want to continue to have to read these stories about the grief and tragedy for others. And that was unfortunately much too much of a part of yesterday. Ages of the victims went from eight to 85 at this point in time. As much as we don't want to be desensitized to this and we're thankful that it's not a school, this was a parade to celebrate a holiday that Americans are excited to celebrate together. And it was just all, it was, it was fear, panic. Uh, obviously we said thoughts and prayers, but it just, it just has to stop at some point in time. And it, clearly it's not. And that's the hardest thing to stomach right now as a, as a, as a, as a, as a body, as one body of American people, it's, it's really, really disappointing, troubling, sickening. It's a dark holiday because of the, the news that happened today. And, and, and hearts go out to everyone in, in Chicago, everyone uh, in those suburbs of Chicago. We went to school with a lot of those people at Notre Dame. Um, and uh, I hate that, hate that an, uh, another celebration turned into a tragedy. Yeah, it's it's horrible. It's gut-wrenching every time, and it, it should be. We shouldn't stop feeling the severity of these as we go along. Um, no easy transition away from this stuff. We know that this is you know the unfortunate part in so many ways of discussing this. So 
we're going to take a quick beat here and we are going to try and close out this note again on a positive note try and do what we do around here which is you know give laughs and give some sports information and 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 do this that and the third the way that we finish this out but it just didn't feel right to not address that at all after what we saw yesterday and again how important this all is as a conversation so Brandon with that being said we will collect ourselves we will try and go forward here and close out the shore the way that we know show the way that we normally do with this that and the third and we can start that off Brandon today with uh, another bit of NBA news that came and went over the weekend that I don't want to say came and went quietly but didn't necessarily strike the same tone for everyone that heard the news the uh new orleans pelicans agreed to the five-year max rookie extension with zion williamson it's a five-year 193 million dollar deal designated as the max rookie extension that could earn him as much as 231 million dollars and there were a lot of people having conversations about was this a good idea for the Pelicans? Should they give an extension to Zion Williamson, who we know missed the entire regular season and postseason this year, missed only played in 24 games as a rookie because of a preseason knee injury, had the year two where he played 61 of 72 games and was sensational, looked every bit like the star at Duke that we all thought he would be in the league here. Brandon, I am in the camp that New Orleans had no choice. Like in a world where Anthony Davis forced his way out with that Lakers trade and you lost the cornerstone of your franchise only to have opportunity delivered to you by the bounce of a ping pong ball, you can't afford to let that guy walk out the door at all. And I understand John Morant and the success he's had with the Grizzlies can't make things feel great right now, but your only way through forward with this is with the star you were fortunate to get in the lottery and your hope is just that he can come back in as good a shape as possible and certainly as healthy as possible. Yeah, and you have to hope. And that's what this extension is, right? It's a, it's an extenuation on the hope that Zion gave you when he was healthy and he was out there. I mean, there was no real veteran leadership there. And C.J. McCollum is there now and said he's, he's taking Zion under his under – his, uh, Wing. He's direct. He says wing. But I took him under my arms. He sh- he should have said wings, but he said arms. Um, I mean, he doesn't technically but, have wings, so I can understand why he would make that distinction. Okay, okay, okay. But like I said, I think it 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 does make sense. You have to do it. I don't think it's tough for me to say that he's worth it at this point in time because he has spent so much time on the bench, uh, invests covering up his, you know. Weight gain or not, what? I can say that he's 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 been wearing vests to either cover up his weight gain or not. I don't think that's fat shaming. I think that – It got close. The, I want you to be careful. I, well, I'm saying the Pelicans are making sure that no one accuses them of fat shaming by making sure Zion gets all the money that he should have gotten as the number one pick, the – Let's be real. His numbers were his numbers were good. It's just oh. that – I don't know. The 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 – this is tongue in cheek, but you know the beignet and the injuries—they happen too too quickly. You know, tit for tat, and you no one really knows what's the cause or what. Like the the chicken and the egg, uh, no pun intended, uh, food related wise. Uh, what's wrong with Zion? But I do think he's one of those guys that maybe in a new city, 
turns it all the way around. I'm just hoping that he can do that in the city that drafted him. Yeah, and I guess that's not really for the Pelicans to want to decide because at this point, you need that guy around there. When he is on the court, you are box office, you are relevant, you have a pulse, and without him, you have much bigger questions as a franchise as far as your relevancy around this league and what you're able to do. So as tough as it's already been with John Morant going out there, the number two overall pick in that draft and the success that he's had now in the postseason in the last couple of years, what would be worse is just what you described. If the Pelicans, for some reason, decided to play hardball and then you get this guy going to somewhere else and putting it all together. You have got to invest all the resources you can do in that. I understand that's got to be both. The player's got to be able to be on the court and available, but if there was any debate over whether or not this was the right move for the Pelicans, I don't know how there can be one because I don't think there's another move that you can defend if you're any decision maker in this franchise. So congrats to Zion Williamson on getting a whole bunch of money down in New Orleans. That is a damn good time. That is a damn good time. Don't you just want to see him play basketball, though? Like, I really, really. I bad. do. Like that's the thing. I think we forgot in the last year, as we had so many conversations about his physical fitness, about his rehab. Was man in year two when that guy was on the court, he was a freak of nature. The way that we expected him to be, and the way that was, you know, it's just we've had to go through such droughts to get to those points that I think it becomes easy to forget with how we turn over things so fast. Yeah, and I just want to – this is not a win for the the crowd that was saying that he was injury-prone going into the league. I think he's done enough while he was healthy to prove that those people were hoping for the worst. Now that we've seen a little bit of the worst, the rest of that Pelicans team has operated without him and have proven how good that they are. And I think him added to them. It's hard to say, it's hard, hard to be predictive of the Pelican season, but I just hope Zion gets back and meshes with that group because yeah. that would be that'll be like a New Orleans version of what we've seen with the Memphis Grizzlies. Right, and like, man, I, I don't know how you can go back and do a rewrite of history where Zion wasn't the number one pick for damn near everyone. Like, what he afforded you, his physical gifts, all of that, John Morant coming from, you know, playing basketball against lesser competition, all that stuff made it seem like it was Zion or bust. I mean, shit, they were cheering in that ticket office when they got that ping pong ball to bounce their way. So I'm like you. I hope we get to see this guy out there because the league, as we know, is better when you've got freak athletes out there doing incredible things. So And RJ that. and our, the Knicks didn't do bad with RJ Barrett either. Brandon, let's get to that. That comes in the form of a tweet that I didn't know I needed, but now now I never want to live without again because the annual tradition of Andrew McCutcheon took place on July 1st. This coming from the Milwaukee Brewers outfielder who formerly spent his time in Pittsburgh with the Pirates from 2009 to 2017. And every year on July 1st for the last couple of years, something called Anthrocon has made its way to downtown Pittsburgh. That is an annual convention for furries. And if you don't know what furries are, look that up on a non-work computer. But Andrew McCutcheon simply tweets out furries on July 1st every year that this happens. He tweet, you know, Someone tweeted at him the annual Cutch Furries tweet. He said, if you know, you know. And Brandon, this to me is just like simple beauty because it is an acknowledgement for a group of people that he saw up close and personal flood downtown Pittsburgh for a while 
for all people involved here. It's tasteful, it's understated, and it is an absolute delight to consider downtown Pittsburgh of all places flooded by people in large animal costumes. What's the tasteful part real quick? The fact that it's just simple. It's not some extended thing. There's not some sort of picture that accompanies it. It is one word. It is furries. The tweet, yes, very classy. The event, you know, room for debate. I don't want to be the person judging. I don't have my, I don't want to have my furry head on judging, but it just seems like, you know, stuffed and life-size stuffed animals, you know. I mean, I'm not going to say they shouldn't be reproducing cuz you know, how are you going to get other life-size furry animals, but uh, it's just it's a little Listen. nasty. We're not here to kink shame anybody. Hell no. I'm not kink Absolutely. You're you are kink shaming. You're Am kink I? shaming right now. And we will not allow that on this here podcast, man. If you're consenting adults, go out here and live the life you chose. I will say, according to Wikipedia here for anyone, furry convention, a formal gathering of memories of furry fandom, of members of the furry fandom, people who are interested in the concept of fictional non-human animal characters with human characteristics. And whatever they also do, they do with their time and their business is their own. But again, that to me is not like... The part in this, the part that's interesting is, one, Andrew McCutcheon's acknowledgement of this community, which is wonderful. They're not hurting anybody. And number two is the notion of downtown Pittsburgh, like one of the best sports towns in the country, as blue-collar, like rust belt of a city as you can find, being flooded with guys like wearing Sidney Crosby jerseys and wondering what the Stillers are going to do without Ben Roethlisberger having to encounter a life-size squirrel in public. That's the meeting of minds that I want to see. Like, a bunch of guys walking in off a construction job at Permani Brothers having to eat a Permani Brothers sandwich next to a life-size furry animal. That's, that's the image I want. That is us coming together as a nation they're obviously probably used to it at this point in time i just hope and i'm pushing for the furries to move the date i feel like july 1st is the wrong time to be covered in uh, a costume especially in in, in the midwest that right is now. true heat, heat advisories everywhere that is true all right so the furry uh anthracon moved to pittsburgh in 2006 um since 2010, it continues to be one of the world's largest furry conventions in terms of attendance. So big time out there. Even better, I will now have my you know phone calendar set every year to get myself ready for the Andrew McCutcheon furries tweet. Long may it rain in the annals of history. But Brandon, let's get to the third. Because this was incredible. As soon as I saw this, I fired it right into our Google Doc for the show and knew we had to get to this one. Title alone. This courtesy of Jasmine Tolliver at the Huffington Post. Alleged threesome led to 60-person brawl on Carnival Cruise, according to Passenger. A massive hour-long fight was caught on camera by another traveler. Because apparently, an alleged threesome amongst guests aboard the vessel caused a rift after one person's significant other discovered the tryst on the trip, according to the witness. After that, the melee, which began about 2 a.m. near the ship's dance club and casino on the fifth floor, lasted about an hour, involved beer bottles being smashed and a possible cut injury. But all in all, the estimate was about 60 people involved. I just want to know how 60 people got involved over a fight about a threesome. Something about the math doesn't end up, add up there. Well, I think that a lot of group decisions were being made. If you if you watch the videos, clearly a white party. 
So, you know, in, in, at a white party, everyone's wearing white. So there's, there's a lot of collective decisioning being happening there. So maybe groupthink was in full effect once they found out about the threesome and the person who was cuckolded, everyone else who was, who was matching them <laughs> was like, yes, I was cuckolded too. We must beat this person up. Like I, I imagine, and also you go, on, you go on cruises as a group and a family. Once everyone in the family finds out that what, what went on between uh, Tisha Darrow and Darn, Darn, uh, I don't know, James, Tisha, Tisha Darrow, Tisha, Darren, James. Yeah, those are people that was involved. Um, I think I think everyone's like, okay, no, that's some bullshit. Not on this carnival cruise. Not on my vacation time. This is bullshit. And then it's a sixty-person brawl. I think you know, probably thirty and thirty. It was probably it was probably two groups of thirty people that knew each other. Maybe a couple randoms. The person that that was a part of the threesome, though, that third party, I feel like he wasn't involved. You know? Oh, see, I. I think that person's absolutely got to be involved. And I don't know if it was a he or she who was or wasn't involved. But all I'll say is, true. honestly, feels like the appropriate response for finding out that you got left out of the threesome. Like, if you're already adding characters to the story, what's the pro- what's the fault in adding a fourth if they're involved in all of that? That's the thing that, like, has to sting. Like, getting cheated on is obviously awful, but getting left out of the threesome feels like finding out about your friends having a party on Instagram that you were left out of. Like, there's a deeper level of hurt with that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, these people are clearly hurt. They fought for an hour. Like, I don't know if you've... Uh, fights... A lot of energy. They shouldn't last very long. An hour-long fight is proof of how many people were involved. That is true, because you're right. A lot no of fresh two, legs. No two civilians. Like, we see what goes into UFC 267 was this weekend. Like, seeing high-level athletes in the octagon for extended periods of time, they leave exhausted. Civilians? Drunk on a cruise ship are not prepped to do an hour's worth of battle. You're right. That is just a bunch of baton passing from one person who finds out and then maybe thinks back to a similar situation they were involved in, channels that rage, and then begins whooping ass. Like, the life cycle of a fight is supposed to be someone is offended, someone pulls out a camera, two people exchange punches, someone in the back hopefully yells out World Star, and then it all peters off and we're good to go and the fight life cycle has been done and uh, gone and done with with but this clearly transcended that and uh, again like you said there must have been a lot of people that knew each other in those parties for them to have such strong reactions about somebody else's threesome also i know there's got to be some great groupon deals for a carnival trip and i know we're not kink shaming and we shouldn't vacation shame but if you're going on carnival cruise it's kind of like going to Waffle House for a meal after 2 a.m. Like you, you expect to see some things that you ain't used to seeing. Like if you want to, if you want to, you know, class it up a little bit, you know, Royal Caribbean's waiting on you. I'm sure they got some great post-COVID deals. The current state of travel in this country is in such a tenuous place that, man, it seems like getting on a cruise ship right now. You're right, is a tough, tough, tough proposition. That being said, massive fight over someone left out of a threesome also feels like an accurate description of what happened with USC and UCLA leaving the Pac-12 for the Big Ten. Yes. I love Mike, your brain. Big fan. I'm just saying it all seems to be right there. So great alternative headline for everyone that's been working overtime in college football for the last week. But in that, there had to have been somebody who was – who was that third person that didn't show up? Or who, who, was, who was in the fight? Who – 
Was, oh, who that didn't show up to the fight? That, well, I mean, now we've well, seen no. The, it's that that one person, that one who got, person that was a part who got of left the out. So the three, the threesome in question would have oh, been yeah. USC, UCLA, and the Big Ten, and the Pac-12s over here. Like, what the hell? And now the other sixty people involved in the hour-long fight are the rest of the college football media and fan bases at large that are like, "Is this the end of college football as we know it? What's going to happen to the Pac-12? What's going to happen to all these other conferences? Like, the rest of the college football news cycle is the other sixty people fighting for an hour over the threesome." Yeah, and then in this analogy, Big Ten ain't right for picking on Pac-12 like that. They know damn well they ain't going to fight. Like Pac-12 over like, hey, man, what's up, bro? What's going on? This kid made fun of my sunglasses. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, just like not, they ain't about their life like that, like we are in the Big Ten. We are. Ugh. Like we. Big, Ten, Big Ten country usually is, and that we do live in Big Ten country here hey. in the Midwest. And you know what? Now in Southern California, I also technically live in Big Big Ten country. I saw a Look lot of that. USC hats out over the weekend, and I was like, man, the Big Ten really wasted no time getting fans up and mobilized out here. It's been damn impressive. Disgusting. Uh, it has been damn impressive for anyone to make it all the way through this podcast ever and always. Make sure you keep downloading, subscribing, rating, and reviewing wherever you get your podcasts. We greatly appreciate it. Follow us on social media, at Gojo Show on Twitter, Instagram. At some point, we will get the TikTok up and running as well. So stay ready for that one. I promise we'll be there. Thanks so much again. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.